Welcome to the Beacon Way Podcast, where your hosts, Jennifer Christensen and Adrian Wilkerson, talk shop about what really works in today's digital marketing world. As the co-founders of Beacon Media and Marketing, Jennifer and Adrian have been a part of digital marketing since its early stages in the mid-2000s. Tune in as they shine light on what works and what doesn't in the ever-changing world of digital marketing for small businesses. Welcome back to the next episode with Jennifer and I with Beacon Media and Marketing. We are the co-founders. We started Beacon about 10 years ago now. And so today we are going to be talking about the, the buying process. And so this is what do customers go through today as part of the buying process. So we talk a lot about cultivating connections with your ideal clients. And so part of this is kind of part one of a two-part podcast series here on the buying process and how can you cultivate connections with your ideal clients. But today we're going to start off with really kind of digging into what is the process that people go through in today's marketing world because it has changed a lot and continues to involve evolve. But there's a pretty solid five point, some do six, but it's pretty much the same journey. And so that's really what we're going to be digging into today. Yeah, I think this is such a great foundational piece. Again, these are things that seem pretty simple, but easy to forget. And we just, again, as business owners, we can lose sight of the, the weeds or, or we can get in the weeds and lose sight of the big picture. So I'm excited to go over these today. And just a caveat to the buying process, like Adrian said, these are pretty tried and true that we know psychologically that most people go through these steps. For your industry, it might be three minutes or it could be three months, depending on how complex what you offer is and what the process is for them to do business with. You can be totally different, but it's generally always the same stages. Yeah, so the first one is identifying the problem. So this is the, you know, the client is, and how would you describe identifying the problem, Adrian? This one's really, this is the first step. This is where people start. So this is where they figure out that they need something. So this is the, the identification of need is another way to say this one. So again, like Jen said, depending on what kind of service or product the person is identifying that they have a need in, it can really vary. So for some people, this might be, you know, I think it's time to get a new car or it could be identifying the need is we're going to have another baby. We're going to have four. We can't fit into our existing car. We need a new car. So that is identifying the problem. It could be, hey, I'm starting a new sport and I need cleats. What are cleats? I don't even know what cleats are. So sometimes it's as vague as I'm starting something new. My coach told me I need X. I need cleats. I don't even know what cleats are. Right. You know, so again, the by the identifying the problem can be very, very simple. I'm out of my face moisturizer. I want a new face moisturizer. It can be as simple as that. It can be as complex as, you know, there's a new member of the family and all the dynamics that come with that. It can be even something as hard as somebody making a comment about your weight or somebody's face and going, I guess maybe I need to do Botox now, or I need to lose (laughs) weight or something, you know, so there can be lots of triggers that help people identify that they have a need or a problem. And that can be very simple, or it can be very complex. 
like Jen said, how simple or complex it is can really determine the length of this process. Some people stay in this identification place for a while because they may be in denial that they need whatever it is they need. So if one of the services that you're offering is mental health or is nutrition counseling and things like that, people may really stay in this identifying the problem place for a long time and may not move into research for a while because they're not wanting to admit that they have a that they have a need that they really need to address. And sometimes it's as quick as impulse buys. An ad pops up for a new lipstick. Ooh, I want that. Click buy. So sometimes it can be very instantaneous, but typically for most of our clients, this is the first stage and it leads into all of the rest of them. But this is really where the customer decides, I need something. Who's got it? So there's usually I need and then who or how. So those are usually the kind of questions and the who and the how is what leads them typically into the next phase of the buyer journey. Yeah. And like you identify with the, the lipstick piece, as a company, you can decide if your marketing is going to be actually part of identifying the problem and the research you know, and the other levels. You can, you can really decide that. Do you want to be an instigator you know, mm-hmm. in this industry? We can tell you if you decide to do that depending on what your your service offering is, it can be a long journey. So it's really important mm-hmm. if you're going to be part of that, identifying the problem. And let's say your product or your service isn't five or ten dollars, you know, it's not a really easy decision for somebody, then it's you have to recognize the journey. You can't take them from step one of identifying the problem to buy. Right. We have, we have to go through it. So this is really effective for clients that we have that are like they are part of this identifying the problem space that are like in some very unique mental health pieces, addiction programs, functional medicine. Mm-hmm. And functional medicine is probably, I'd say, number one in this, right? Where right. the client may know they have a problem, but they haven't identified maybe a piece of that. Like you said, Botox, you know, you could help identify the problem in your marketing if you want to do that. A lot of our clients don't spend time here. They're just aware of it, that the client mm-hmm. has made that decision first. And then they start their marketing actually in the next phase, which is research. Right. Well, and there's some really unique approaches to this that have emerged in the industry. Apple and Steve Jobs is a really good example of somebody that took this to a whole new level. I mean, he's been quoted as saying, they don't know they need it until we tell them they need it. Right. And he really turned the market a lot on its on its end in doing this. We didn't even know these technologies or these products existed until, you know, Apple told us this is the next best thing. And then we all wanted it. But I mean, Nike's done this over the years, Adidas, all of these. Here's the next new shoe. You need this shoe. You need this shoe to be popular. You need this shoe to run faster. You need, you know, so Jennifer's right. There is a huge space in the market for helping people identify that they have a need, whether they knew it or not. Um, And that is part of what branding and marketing is all about, is helping people identify that or forcing them to identify. Sadly, that's kind of the darker side of it, but identifying that there is something out there that could potentially make their lives better that maybe they didn't even know they needed. Yeah. I just think it's important in this one to recognize like Steve Jobs, of course, is the the one we always look to, or a lot of people do because he took it, like you said, took it to such an amazing level. This one is the riskiest 
right? It is. So, and this mm-hmm. one is also the area where, where marketing can be considered bad because mm-hmm. if you, bad. So if you decide to identify a problem and you do it in a way, which is like, oh, your face is wrinkles, well, you definitely need Botox, blah, blah, blah. And you do it in that kind of way, you might have people actually turned off by you. Yeah. Condescending tone or whatnot. Right. So it's, it says this one, identifying the problem can go both ways. It can be directly from the, the client or potential client up front, they came up with it themselves, or it can be you, you know, providing that potential problem. That's totally fine. I would just say it's the riskiest and how you approach it. Absolutely. Definitely. So research number two talked about that. Do you want to talk anything more about research? Yeah, I think we can dig into a little bit more into that one. Like, like you said, this is where a, this can often be the longest, where people stay the longest yeah. in their buying journey especially if it's a very high-priced item or a very complex issue that they're solving. Buying a car can be a good, good example or buying a house. like That's a big purchase. You don't typically jump into those very, very quickly. You're typically doing a lot of research on those. So this is where people are reading blogs. This is where reviews are hugely important. And the research does tie into evaluating options, which the reviews probably fall even more into that next phase. But you know the research phase, they are. They're reading reviews. They're really trying to decide who's out there and who am I interested in. And we believe this is a really important part where that transparency that we were talking about in previous episodes and removing the barriers is really important because this is where you're really, if you have your barriers set up and or torn down correctly, this is where you're, you're able to really help people almost self vet themselves, which is a weird phrase to say. But if you are, you know, if somebody's looking for a minivan and they are, which I'm not a fan, but they're very practical vehicles. And so if somebody's researching minivans and your dealership is talking about how you sell sports cars, they are self-vetting. They're probably not going to call you. They're going to move on because they're looking for somebody for a specific thing. And so you want to call if you're selling sports cars, you want to call from somebody who's actually wanting a sports car. So this can actually help people really do some vetting. You're really facilitating that. So then by the time they're much, they're ready to move on to the next process, they're a little more likely to be your ideal client because there's some vetting. But if you're back at the point of we can help anybody and everybody, then they may even just bump past you in this research phase and go on to somebody who's talking more specifically about exactly what they're looking for. They probably will. I mean, that's this part of the phase to me is the most exciting and it's really what the the beacon way, what we focused on so much because we've seen huge wins here. Back to the swimming pool example, if you're somebody looking for a new swimming pool, you've identified, I want a swimming pool and it's really hot in Florida, whatever, and that wouldn't happen in Alaska. <laughs> but, but if you have decided that and they come and they see that your site has like the best research and it offers comparisons and it says, hey, this is why this is more expensive. This is why this is better here. You know, Here's a def- different option for you. And you're not afraid to give them really detailed, good information online, that would be the same type of questions you'd answer on the phone if they called you. You can you can have such a huge step above your competitors here and that mm-hmm. they're, they're when they go to the evaluating the options, you now have a ton of emotional 
you know, chits in the bank, so to speak. So you've got like, yeah, I got credit now because you just made that process better and easier. And of course they want to do business with somebody they can trust. So absolutely great, great opportunity in the research phase. Well, and a lot of times, I mean, this is part of where they're refining their, their needs. Right. And so if they have decided, maybe they're still at the point of deciding between an SUV and a minivan. So they're still evaluating what are the benefits and the downsides of both of those. And so they're looking at details in this space. They're researching safety. They're researching seating. They're researching all of those different things. And like Jen said, if you're presenting as much information as is reasonable to put out there, they are seeing you as the one who's transparent. They're creating that connection with you, which is that credit that Jennifer was talking about. And they're, they keep coming back to your site because every time they search for a next, the, the next question, if your blog pops up and they're like, oh, they're, they're talking about this too. Oh, they know about this. Oh, they know about that. Then that is the building that trust between you and your potential buyer. It's cultivating that connection with them. And you're deepening that connection at this phase so that when they get to the next phase, which is evaluating, you're already higher up on their evaluation before they even start comparing reviews or whatever else or color of vehicles at that point, because you have met them where they were at and provided helpful information for them. Cosmetic dentistry, like Jen identified in previous episodes, is also a really good example of this one because they could be, you know, what is cosmetic dentistry? Do I really need it? How can it help me? How is it different than regular dentistry? You know, am I going to get put under there? They have that suite of questions that they want to ask and get answers to. And if you're meeting them there every time and you've got a blog or an article or a post on social media or something that identifies it, and answers their question, you're putting yourself in a really strategic position to, again, be at the top of their kind of evaluation matrix, whatever that is for them when they get to that place. So, and I want, I want to share, I promise we're going to get back to the, the last three, we'll go over them quickly, but I want to share a massive hack that you can do as a small business. So when Adrian and I first started, it's been our goal from the very beginning to help small to medium businesses in America. We feel like we're making a direct impact on people's lives, their employees' lives, families by doing that. And, and small to medium business is not mom and pops necessarily, but it's, you know, it's in the millions mark. It's not the Amazons, the Walmarts, right? So it's right. that rate. But how does a small business, let's say you're a small business that sells e-bikes and you're a local business and you can, as you're very aware, people can go on Amazon, people can go on really big sites They can ship directly now, right? So there's like tons of information out there about e-bikes. So if you you flip that though and see the positive of that and realize, okay, my competitors are spending tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars marketing e-bikes, right? So they're doing number one, identifying the problem. They're like spending a ton of money on getting people to say e-bikes are an answer to a problem that we have. You can still win by having a super small budget and just killing it on the research phase because right. when they people are like, oh, I've heard of e-bikes, that's really cool. You know, that sounds I've heard other people talk about that, or I've seen that online. That sounds really interesting. We know 93% of people are gonna go immediately to Google 
yep. and look up e-bikes. Right. If your content is answering every potential question that they could have about e-bikes, you know, at your local spot and why you've got all these answers and you've got this personal service and you can answer anything and everything that they would want and give them service, do you think they're going to choose you over the big guy? They are. And the big guy has now spent all the money advertising it and spending all the money and you actually get the benefit of it by being the one that answers the questions through research. Absolutely. So a total, total hack for almost any small business in an industry of how you can compete and win on that one. It takes a little more time and it's usually a slow burn win. It doesn't always get you results right away, but it is dynamic and amazing. And once you do spend the time, invest the time to get that content out there, it just keeps winning for you over and over and over right. year after year after year. So it is an investment upfront, but it is so worth it, the long run, and so worth it to have a hack to be able to compete with the big guys. Yeah, I think this is I think that's the number one way that our clients win. Because we know we're spending maybe not even a tenth of the budget, right? Right. Like some of their competitors are spending and they're getting a bigger market share. Okay. So number three is evaluating options, which you sort of already went into, which is more like the reviews usually, mm-hmm. word of mouth. Again, the beacon way and removing barriers from the website, things that they won't even, people won't even realize that they're they're actually using as part of their decision-making for evaluating options is what is your website presence like? What was their experience on there? They may not check that off, but that affects their evaluation portion. Absolutely. And those reviews are massively important, more so all the time. And this is, you know, that's going to be like Jen said, word of mouth reviews have very often taken the place of word of mouth because, you know, if you're making, let's say a region purchase from a regional company, you may not know anybody who's used that company before. So all you have is the reviews from the people that have, because you don't know anybody personally to be able to ask. So those reviews are massively important. It is well worth the time to curate your reviews on Google, Google My Business and on Facebook and different places. And this is something Jen and I always tell people is don't be afraid of bad reviews. They are going to happen. We can't make everybody happy in this world. So it really has to do more with how you respond to those reviews. And it's weirdly enough, not really have the response doesn't isn't really for the person who gave you the bad review. The response is for everybody else who's reading those reviews because they will, there's a certain weird expectation now that if you have no negative reviews, it's a little too good to be true. Yeah. And maybe you've curated too much kind of a thing. So a couple of negative reviews are not bad, but you have to respond to them. If you leave them hanging there, they will kill you. (laughs) It is definitely a negative thing to leave them hanging. So respond to them professionally, politely, with empathy, and and you will actually really turn. um, It really makes a big difference for the people that are reading the reviews. And honestly, sometimes you have an opportunity to turn your biggest naysayer into your biggest fan if you respond well and take care of them. But evaluating options, this is where people are comparing, you know, one company to the next and making a decision on who they want to buy from and do business with. And and this one too, um, just I'm not going to go super deep into it because we could have multiple episodes on this, but 
Google reviews the gold standard, of course, but for a lot of business industries, you also want to look at there's other review sites out there different for each one for us. It's Clutch and UpCity that are more national. And then you also want to really look at case studies as a part of this, because this is the, like um, Adrian said, the comparison piece. And even if you have a lot of good reviews that don't directly kind of address what the person is looking at doing a service with you for, a case study is a great opportunity to basically lay out, this is a problem somebody else had, this is how we solved it, this is the results. And those tend to, in some ways, carry a heavier weight if it's a more mm-hmm. complex problem. So Absolutely. The, I'd say both of those reviews and um, case studies that that applies to your industry. Yeah. And a lot of times, I would say almost every time we talk to people about this, we always get asked about Yelp. So we'll just call it out. Yelp is not in it for the consumer. They are in it for themselves, for sure. So we do not recommend ever paying Yelp for anything. If depending on your industry, if you're a restaurant, if you're a hairdresser, if you're doing something like nails or whatnot, it is worth paying attention to your Yelp reviews and responding to any negative ones that are there. But we've not had one company that we've interacted with that has paid Yelp that it's made any difference at all. So their salespeople are very well-trained in scare tactics. And it's not something that there's any teeth behind or any weight behind. So it's, it is a weird one that's out there. And we've had to go toe to toe with them a couple of times on our client's behalf. But Yelp, like I said, for certain industries, it's very worth paying attention to and responding, but it's not worth having a paid membership and it's not worth paying them money because they will never take those reviews down no matter how much you pay them. So it is it is definitely a weird one from that standpoint, but it's worth right. one touching on because we do get a lot of questions about it for sure. So the, the last two are making the client making the purchase and then the post-purchase follow-up customer service. And I'm not sure, Adrian, if we should save those for the next episode or if we've got time right now. But really, a lot of a lot of people think marketing, we've we've made this mistake before. They think once they've made the purchase, the marketing stops. And right. if anything, this is the most critical point because what happens during that purchase is so Absolutely. when somebody's decided to take the leap of faith to trust you, there's almost always going to be some remorse on that. That is just a psychological human fact of, you know, three days after they made this big purchase, it's like, oh, was that really worth it? And so you have this very, very like specific point in time to, to basically continue to show trust and how you operate, that things aren't going to change from what your process has been to that point over communication doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect on the purchase. But what we found is when we really spent time and money to make sure that at the actual purchase process was incredibly mm-hmm. easy and clear. And then the immediate, what we call onboarding, we systematized all of that and made that so much better for our clients that the entire relationship and the value, financial value of that relationship increased dramatically and, and the referrals right? Which that now goes right back into your marketing system. Absolutely. And I think it's worth mentioning as well that once a customer has made the decision to purchase from you, you want to make sure that that process of actually making that purchase 
is really clear. And this ties back into the UX that we were t- experienced that we were talking about a couple of episodes ago, that even if they have gone through this whole, whole journey and identified you're the person they want to do business with, and it is not easy for them to purchase from you, yeah. they will move on to the next person on their list. After all that And time, so you've now... Yeah. You spent all that time, all that money getting them to this point. But if it's not easy for them to understand what you want them to do next and how they purchase from you, then you can potentially lose them very, very easily at that stage, Um, especially as all of our attention spans continue to shrink with as technology continues to expand, um, making that a very easy thing. They know exactly who to talk to. They know exactly what button to push on the website. They know exactly what information you need from them. And so that goes back to that cultivating that connection that they know because they had, they've been to your website. They understand the process. They know what they need to do for the next step, that you've cultivated that connection enough that by the time they're made, ready to make that purchase, it's super easy. And then Jen covered the customer service piece beautifully that this process does not stop with the purchase, that it definitely continues um, after the fact, for sure. So thank you for joining us for the buying process and kind of our explanation and walk through what the process is and what customers expect at the different stages and kind of what some of their thought processes are during those stages. So our second part to the series, we're going to be talking and digging into how the Beacon Way interacts with customers at each one of these stages. And we've touched a little bit on it today, but we're going to dig a lot deeper into that next time. So we really hope you come back for the second one in this series on the buying process and how the Beacon Way help move people through that process more effectively. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Beacon Way. We hope you enjoyed it and had some good takeaways. Please subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if you've enjoyed the show, please give us some stars on your podcast channel of choice. For more information, tips, and notes from the show, check us out at beaconmm.com. For more information on how Beacon can help market your business, email us at welcome at beaconmm.com.